to the Pitched Industries podcast. Hey guys, what's going on? And welcome back to another episode of the Pitched Industries podcast. My name's Nick, and on this episode, I'm going to be talking with the legendary Chris White. Chris White is a filmmaker and photographer from Western Australia who is the man behind the iconic bodyboarding movies Tension, the book Dark Light, and the new podcast which is blowing up called The Grin Reapers. In this episode, we hear about how Chris got into filmmaking and photography in the beginning, advice for creative students today, where he thinks the future of photography might be heading, his son Van Wolf White, who is a four-year-old golf prodigy, as well as a heap of other stuff. I'm sure you guys are really going to enjoy today's episode with Chris, but before we get into it, I'd just like to apologize for some of the transitions in this podcast. There's been a few learning curves in the recording of this last episode, so I hope you can forgive me and I hope that this episode is something you can still really enjoy. Anyway, let's get straight into this chat with Chris White. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. There's heaps of things I want to talk with you about today, starting from your book, Dark Light, the tension movies, as well as a new podcast, The Grin Reapers. But let's just start out with the basics for now. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into filmmaking and photography in the first place. Well, the very beginning was my film, my love of the ocean. So I used to bodyboard semi-professionally and was just always around the ocean shooting friends. Like We'd film each other to improve our surfing. And then, yeah, it just sort of took off from there. I sort of jumped on the other side of the wind when I realised I didn't have a sort of a career path in bodyboarding. Like, there was sort of, I wasn't good enough, basically, and there was such elite guys that there wasn't enough room for sort of everyone in the sport. So I figured I was going to have to do something else. Loving the water and the sport so much, I figured making movies was going to be my best way to stay with it. So when you are first getting into filmmaking and photography, what were your biggest influences back then? I was um, heavily influenced by Chris Stroh, who was he made these um, old school bodyboarding movies called the Underground Tape, and they were um, they were our religion to our group because we were just obsessed with bodyboarding. So everything we kind of watched was this guy's movie. So I started sending footage to him, and then eventually he started paying me for footage, and then that sort of in turn led me to to sort of emulate what he was doing. So I bought my own camera, started making my own. So kind of old order Chris Stroh, really. Yeah, so after you bought your first camera, how many years did it take to create the Tension movies? And did it take some time before you were able to quit any other jobs you might have had at the time and pursue filmmaking full-time? Well, yeah, it was pretty much full-time from the get-go because so much goes into it, whether it's sort of filming, editing, um, it's just, yeah, it's a full-on job. <laughs> yeah. So from the first movie, which I think was 2000, I was just full-time straight away. So before that, I was kind of doing little little jobs like grape picking because <laughs> I moved out of Mark. Yeah. Actually, I was living in a caravan, uh, didn't even have a car, hitchhiking around, picking grapes. Work, I worked as a dish pig in the night's in. And then, um, yeah, just slowly got a camera, slowly chipped away at it. And then um, after I made the first movie, I'd sort of put all my money just back into the film just to try and make it better and better. And each movie, I ended up doing about 12 movies in six years. So it was... Wow. I don't even know how I managed to do that. <laughs> yeah, so I did yeah. the Ten Tension movies and then two two movies from Hawaii as well. And that all happened within this six-year whirlwind, I guess, you could say. 
Looking back at the old Tension movies, there are a heap of things that I feel were pretty forward-thinking at the time. After watching a few of the videos recently and seeing the pencil camera you used in the early days, I actually looked into when the first GoPros were released, and that was in 2002. So if you started the Tension movies in 2000, you guys were onto something pretty early there. That was more an idea. Mike Stewart, who's always been an innovator, he... He was actually the first person I saw with a sort of a camera like that. He had a gaff helmet with one attached. And I kind of reached out and found out what, um, how he went about it. So I, I've kind of can't claim that as an original idea. But yeah, yeah. It was definitely sort of a rare thing back then. So I had to get a sort of a custom uh, housing made from this guy, Dave Kelly, in the Eastern States. And back then, that whole setup ended up costing sort of, I think it was plus $6,000, which at the time was ridiculous compared to other cameras. But that's because you have to have a sort of a separate recording device attached to your waist, the housing, and then the actual camera itself with a separate housing. But that was, yeah, it was fun doing that, but uh, I'm not sure if you realise, but I lost that almost one of the first surfs I had with it. So, oh, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got some good footage, managed to get Ryan on uh, using it at the box, and he's sort of done some pretty cool stuff with it, like span on the takeoff, got a big barrel, and then came out. So wasn't all lost, but <laughs> yeah, spent a few days trying to dive, um, trying to find it. But, in the following days after losing it. So moving forward now from the tension days, I'd like to talk with you about the book you created, Dark Light. Could you give us a little bit of insight into the inspiration behind that book and the influence photography and the ocean has had on your life to date? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the book came about because I've been shooting for a couple of years and sending pictures off to magazines and often sort of mags will pick shots that they like which is going to suit what they want but a lot of these shots I was getting were stuff I was really stoked on but couldn't find a place for it to sort of land in print so I figured like having already made movies and knowing sort of the rewarding feeling of being able to create your own sort of project I I figured I'm going to do the same with photography and have my own project so the thought behind it as well was I lost my brother and my father to suicide so there was a big mental health sort of issue I wanted to so I, I figured if I could have a good meaning with the book, it would resonate well with everyone. And then if I can even use the book as a way to not only raise awareness, but also uh, help donate money to Beyond Blue, I figured why not go for it? I found the whole process, to be honest, like it was it was self-healing for me because going back five years, I couldn't even say the word suicide. I'd sort of, I'd had it all bottled up. So yep. I looked at the whole project as a way to improve my life, basically. And yeah, looking back now, I'm so glad I did it. I've had a few people reach out and say, like, they're thinking of doing books and whatnot. And my advice to every one of them is go for it because <laughs> what's the worst that can happen, you know? Like, yeah. Like any, anything in life, that any ideas you might have, just pursue them and you've got nothing to lose. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of the biggest struggles you had to overcome to get to where you are today? I'd say mainly financial reasons because you always want to have sort of the the cutting edge, best equipment and whatnot, but it's not all, always affordable. And depending on your position you're in, I've found that to be the hardest. So the way yeah. I've sort of I've overcome them struggles is to work sort of any job you can just to sort of try and earn any money. Like it might not be in your passion, but if you have to go elsewhere to earn a bit of money to to fund basically a passion, then that's worth doing. Like, like I was saying earlier, I was picking grapes <laughs> doing stuff like that like that's obviously not a career that you want but you, you just sort of do these little sacrifices to earn sort of what money you can and then go from there kind of thing 
How did you go about pitching yourself to potential clients back then when you didn't have such a huge portfolio behind you or maybe you weren't as well known as you are now? How did you actually go about going to clients and saying, hey, can I work for you? Yeah, well, I've always kind of been like my own boss. So I've never sort of had to pitch myself out there. So I've just kind of done my own thing. And with the movies, it's a little bit different. So, but something kind of similar, um, I had to sort of get these movies into surf shops for people to buy them. And I remember approaching one shop before Tension One and I was like, oh, I made this bodyboard movie. And then the guy's like, oh, what's the name of it? And I said, oh, it's called Tension. It's like, oh, no, I never heard of it. And he just kind of was really rude to me. And then I remember a, a year or so later, this guy's called me up and he's like, oh, yeah, I want to get uh, you. By that time, it was Tension 2. He's like, I was wondering if I can get Tension 2. Yeah. And then I just reminded him, I was like, I actually tried to contact you to get Tension 1 in there and you blew me off. And then he's just sort of, yeah, he's just sort of apologized. And I was just. Oh, uh, he would have been spewing. Yeah, just one of them things. Yeah, I guess if, if no one knows who you are at the start, it can be hard. But, and eventually, if you're producing uh, work or videos or photos, whatever it is, if you end up producing good stuff, then people are going to be interested. So let's move forward now to my favorite question of the bunch, and that is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I'd say it's from my mum, who from very young ages always remember telling me, treat other people how you want to be treated. And that's the way I've always lived my life. So, yeah, I try and be nice to whoever it is, no matter what their position, and hope that it sort of comes back. And, like, today I went fishing and I rocked up to the boat ramp. And as I was pulling up, there's a guy, you have to pay, like, a ridiculous parking fee for your car and boat. And as I pull up, this guy walks over to me and he passes me a ticket through the window. And he goes, here you go, mate, save yourself a ticket. And... I was like, oh, thanks, mate. And then I was just thinking about the last time I came here, when I was leaving, I did the same for someone else. I'd given them my parking ticket. And then it just come around full circle. So that's just a small illustration of kind of what I mean by it. But I've just found if you're nice and respectful to people, then hopefully it comes back your way. Yeah, absolutely. Regarding photography and filmmaking, has someone within that industry given you some advice, which you've really just thought about after and just gone, damn, I wish I knew about that earlier? Yeah, when because uh, I recently went through the Middle East on a photography tour with this um, world travel photographer, Richard Ianson. Yep. I've rocked up to this tour and I kind of had my tripod bag, camera bag, and it was just kind of like the way I was traveling. I just wanted to protect my gear, basically. And then straight up, he's just looked at me. He's gone, I'll give you a little tip. He's like, try and blend in when you're a photographer. It's it worked for so many reasons, not only so you don't get uh, robbed or something if you're yeah. in a sort of a dodgy area, but but also when you're shooting people, if, if you're just blending in, they're not going to sort of be taken aback by a big camera in their face kind of thing. So I thought that was a good bit of advice. I've never really looked at it that way. And uh, it's something I've taken on board and yeah, been rolling with that as well. Yeah, so knowing what you know now as a photographer, filmmaker, and content creator, what are some things you've learned that you wish you'd known about a little bit earlier? Or are there any things in particular which you would have liked to have started more quickly looking back? Yeah, definitely. I wish I knew earlier that there is no making it. Like a lot of people think, I'm going to make it, but there's no such thing. Like no matter where you've been or where you end up, you, you never get to a point where you're like, yep, I've made it. So don't concentrate on sort of an end goal. Just the whole journey is what you've got to enjoy. So what I mean by that, like like I was saying earlier, I went from living in a caravan in Margaret River and then eventually managed to get sort of property and rental properties and 
like it's I've I've gone so far, but at no point have I got to somewhere and thought, yep, I've made it. So it's just an illusion. I see a lot of people, whether they're sort of filmers or whatever, and the way they talk or act, they might be like, yeah, when when I when I hit the big time, I'll do this, I'll do that. But I don't think that's a good way to think. I, I think you're best off just enjoying every moment of the whole journey and just realize that you are making it as you're going along. There's no sort of end goal. So don't think stuff's going to happen when you reach a certain point. Just sort of be aware that enjoy the whole process from wherever you start to wherever you end up. What advice would you have for aspiring photographers or photography students who are maybe focusing too much of their time on the social media side of things? Tell us about the role it plays or doesn't play in life as a working paid photographer and filmmaker. Yeah, well, the big having a big follower base like I'm on 60 odd thousand so that's not huge but it's really handy for me so I can use that to sort of I basically am my own publicist if you know what I mean so if I want to yep. let people know I've got a new podcast out I can whack that up and then I, I know that that's sort of reaching a lot of people but with social media nowadays it, it's really hard to build an account it's not like it was a few years ago so yeah don't put too much effort into social media it's a good way to have a page for someone to see your shots or what you're about but how many likes and followers you've got that's just totally irrelevant like most of the photographers like the big time photographers don't even have sort of large following so the following definitely doesn't represent the quality with so many social media platforms out there these days i feel it's really easy for creative students to feel really overwhelmed with the amount of competition there is out there in their fields what's some advice you'd give creative students who are maybe suffering a little bit from this and would you say that comparing yourself to others is a good thing or a bad thing i think it's a bad thing because if you're trying to sort of compare yourself to someone else you're always going to be sort of judging your work against theirs where you should be sort of trying to come up with your own sort of new innovative angles or photography like the other day I was um, so I helped run Amazing WA as well and people tag a lot of our photos and I was going through our, all the people that have tagged photos and 95% of them were drone shots yeah. and it's kind of it seems like it's almost not that it's been done like there's always going to be room for new angles and whatnot but the the originality seems to have gone out of a lot of people's work. So I think for people concentrating on building social media, try and just do original stuff. Don't just do an aerial that's been done a thousand times and will be done another thousand times that day. You know what I mean? Try yeah. and get a fresh angle of something. Just think outside the box. And I think the more people can be creative and individual, the more they'll stand out. So moving forward a little bit now, do you often think about where photography is headed in the future? And does you thinking about this influence the way you approach your photography and filmmaking today? I think the the future of photography is, is going to be based equipment-wise. Like RED now have the Monstro AK camera, and it, it records 36 megapixel raw digitals at 60 frames a second. We, no, no DSLR can compete with that. And not everyone's going to be able to have a monster camera because they're sort of 80k plus like starting price. But yeah. as technology evolves, someone will come out with a similar sort of camera that's going to be more affordable. So I think the future could well be a merging of motion and stills, which is pretty crazy really when you think about where it comes. So yeah. Remember the, fir- the first digital camera I had was like four megapixels. <laughs> and now <laughs> you've got sort of the ability. And the crazy thing with these red cameras is they, they pre-record. So say a moment passes like oh, i wish i got that you press the button and you can 
pre-record the 30 seconds before it happens. So not only are you not going to miss stuff, but you're going to be getting 60 frames per second raw photos from 30 seconds before it happens. Yeah, that's so wild. I had no idea that those cameras actually pre-recorded 30 seconds beforehand. That's that's next level. Anyway, I'd like to move forward a little bit now and talk with you about the recent podcast you've made with Brian Shields called The Green Reapers. I'm absolutely loving the podcast and um, yeah, actually almost crashed my car the other day from laughing so hard at one of the stories. I think it might have been episode seven. But yeah, talk to us a little bit about the podcast and maybe what we can expect from that in the upcoming few months. Yeah, well, the podcast, it's something I've been really into podcasts the last couple of years. So I've always loved doing them. I've always thought, oh, it'd be fun to give one a shot. So I sort of, I looked into it and I figured I can go out of Gumtree, buy some secondhand gear and it won't cost too much. And I just thought it kind of adds another string to my bow as far as uh, giving me options career-wise to sort of branch out in any direction. So we don't really have any expectations with it, but we're just having fun with it. So we're recording... Uh, as many episodes as we can, sort of banking them away and releasing one a week. And we've had, yeah, really good response. Like what you were just saying, I've had so many people sort of reach out and say they sound hilarious or it's helped them on a long trip. And then people sort of saying they're listening to it in Puerto Rico, all these different, all these crazy yeah. places. So it's just another sort of medium. And um, it's really fun doing. Like I'm sure you're having fun doing yours as well. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know where we're going to end up and <laughs> with it all, but. We're just going to keep rolling while it's going and, yeah, keep having fun with it. What are two small pieces of advice that you would give creative students that could maybe guide them down the right path with their work? Yeah, well, I'd definitely say, like you would have experienced when you're doing your magazine, you go to do something and then you, you're like, holy crap, this is actually hard. Yeah. <laughs> that that comes up so often. It's like nothing's, nothing's easy. So when you take on a project and you hit hurdles, just keep going. Don't sort of think, oh, this is too hard or this is going to take too much time. Just keep pushing on. And a lot of the time, like even with my book, I got so close to the end and I started having doubts. And I think it's just human nature. You always sort of doubt yourself. But you just got to back yourself in and just keep going. So that, that's sort of the biggest bit of advice I could offer from my personal experience. And yeah. another one I'd say is, to not rest on your laurels, so to speak. So if you do something and you're happy with it, don't just sit there and be like, oh, yeah, I've done that. Just got to keep pushing, look for something new, keeping busy and just trying to just keep learning. I'd like to move on to equipment now. What are some pieces of equipment or internet resources that you are currently using which you now couldn't live without? I'll go with my freshest one, which is my Zoom H6 uh, audio recorder. Yep. That is when so when we record a podcast, I can have up to six microphones plugged straight in, and it's fully mobile. So I just chuck my batteries in there. Sounds like an advertisement for him, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's 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 what I've been doing. So the last few weeks, we've been recording one or two podcasts a week, and with having the ability just to be able to uh, pack everything up in a box, travel, and set it up on the go, that's been invaluable for us. So it's hard to sort of expect guests to sort of come to me all the time. So. Yep. I'm um, yeah, happy with this sort of portable setup. So it's just opened up a lot of options. So so with your filmmaking side, any bits of equipment there? Yeah. So my new that newest camera I got, the red camera, I've just uh, got another housing made up recently. So that is what I'm pumped on at the moment. I, I kind of had a little setback with my knee. I've got a little injury at jiu-jitsu. So oh, no. just trying to heal my knee up. But uh, I'm super psyched to get in the water and uh, film some, some more action this winter. 
before we wrap things up today, I'd just like to ask a question regarding a few things I've been seeing on your Instagram feed recently. Can you tell me what the deal is with this young blonde kid who just seems to be the next golf prodigy? Is that your son or something? Yeah, that's my, my youngest son, Dan Wolf White. He's a little freak with his golf. So he he's um he's only at school two days a week. So on his yeah. days off, we're playing golf. <laughs> oh, it's just brilliant watching this little kid just, uh, yeah, do crazy things. I've got no doubt he's going to be kicking my ass in golf by the age of six. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Those videos of him chipping the ball into the hole from like 20-odd metres away, I mean, I had to replay that thing a few times thinking it must be some sort of stitch-up. I know. So right now, when we play a part three course, because it's not so long, he can kind of keep up, get the occasional par and bogey. Yeah. But uh, the longer par five, that is eight, he just doesn't have the distance. So he's still sort of – he managed to get a double bogey on a par five just yesterday, which I was pretty impressed with. Yeah. So he, he basically hit seven flawless shots in a row. That is <laughs> That's unbelievable. Like on the green and then putting in. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty stoked with, uh, <laughs> with how much he loves golf. So he stays at it. So what's the deal? Did you give him a putter when he was like one and everything sort of branched off from there? Something yeah, he got sort of... like a little – little plastic set of golf clubs from uh, grandma for the first first Christmas. And um, he just never put them down. Then he started um, watching it on, like, on phone or the iPad and just, yeah, just become obsessed with it. So I, I was, for a while I was thinking, God, I've got to get him some um, proper coaching. And I went, approached a uh, professional coach and he's like, he's like, mate, he's, he swings so naturally. He's like, I don't want to touch him. Just keep him in the game. Make sure uh, you're not pressuring him to do anything. Just keep him stoked in the game. And if he's still playing golf when he's six, seven, come and see me. Oh. And I was like, that was some great advice because I don't want to push him too hard with it. So I'm just keeping it really fun. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it sure is. Fingers crossed that, um, that yeah, he keeps with it. So lastly, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can find more information and links taking you to everything which me and Chris have spoken about in today's episode, as well as some of Chris's work and other things over at pitchedindustries.com. But are there any places in particular you would like the audience to go, Chris, to find out more about your work and what you're doing and maybe even um, find some of these videos of your son, which we've just been talking about? Yeah, for sure. So he's on Instagram as well. And um, yeah, and if anyone wants to check out my podcast, we're just called The Green Reapers, which is on um, iTunes. Awesome. Well, I'll have all those links again over at pitchedindustries.com. And um, yeah, I highly recommend checking out Chris's new podcast, The Green Reapers. It's a really good laugh and the guests they're getting on each week just seem to be getting better and better. So yeah, highly recommend checking that out as well. Uh, bro, thanks, yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'm in some fine company. I, I enjoy... Uh, all the people you've had on Field Notes, C-Mark, uh, Brendan Foster, you've had some talented people. So to consider me up there with them, I'm stoked. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks again, Chris. You're an absolute legend and um, I'll talk to you real soon. All right, bro. Cheers. Bye. That's it for today, guys. I hope you got something out of today's episode with Chris White, and I hope that this podcast is something which you're getting some value out of. I'd love to hear some feedback from you guys on what you think about the show. If there's anything you'd like me to add, any questions about your particular industry or niche or anything else, get in contact with me via the Pitched Industries contact page, Instagram, Facebook, or anything else. I really would like to hear from you guys and keep making this podcast something you can get a lot out of. But if you're enjoying this podcast, something you can do for me right now is head on over to iTunes and give this podcast a five-star review so this podcast is able to reach more and more people each week. For now, guys, thanks again for listening, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys next week. Cheers.